The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Six days after Peter had acknowledged Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the Beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if there's a whole lot I can add to that Gospel procession, but I'm going to try. St. Paul's, your new altar, it has wheels. (laughs) I'm so excited about this. You know what it tells me? It tells me that St. Paul's is creative and innovative and flexible and open to possibilities. St. Paul's is not fixed in one place, not stuck in one territory. Your new altar has wheels. (laughs) I never know, I never know whether to laugh or cry when I hear smart, seasoned Christians arguing about the one right way to do discipleship and grow faith. Is it encountering the living God in retreat and prayer and transcendent worship in glorious spaces? Or is it living the good news out in the streets in gritty acts of justice and mercy? Which is it? Well, the story of the transfiguration that you just heard Charlie read answers it plainly. What was the answer? It's a two-part invention. But it's the opposite of what we often expect. The summit is the beginning, not the grand finale. And after the summit, you got to put wheels on the thing. Your godly play graduates, are there any godly play graduates in the room right now? So they haven't, good, so you'll know this. You can ask them. Because if you give them the prompt of today's Old Testament reading, they can tell you. Moses went up on the mountain to parley with God, and the people saw the bright cloud of God's glory. And God gave Moses what? The ten best ways to live. Is that the end of the story? No, it's the beginning. The summit by itself did not bring the people of God into the promised land. 
It took 40 more years of wandering around to do that. And if you're wandering around for 40 years, you can't just take something like the tablets with the Ten Commandments and stuff them in the saddlebags on your camel. You've got to have a beautiful gold box with cherubim and big iron rings on the side to hold the gigantic poles so that you can carry them with you wherever you go. And the students will remind you, if you ask them, that you can't just walk up to something as holy as the Ten Commandments without a way to get ready. You might miss it, or it might kill you. So God showed the people a way to get ready. He showed them how to put up lampstands and incense burners and offering basins and a table for the bread and washstands and an altar for sacrifice, all to help get ready to get close to God. And he showed them how to arrange it in a tent, in a tent, so that they could carry it with them. And when they were ready to move, they put the whole thing on wheels. (laughs) Six ox carts. They hand-carried the Ark of the Covenant and some of the other things. And if you go to the Bible, you will find something that looks like the instructions for setting up a church plant in an elementary school. Very detailed. Who carries what and where to put it? The primary concern with the building, the tabernacle, designing it, putting it together, was ensuring that it was portable. That it was portable. Years and years later, when King David wanted to build a proper cedar temple for God, you may remember God said something like, Well, I created the forests and the galaxies and the stars and the oceans, and you're going to discover things like quarks later. You think I need a log cabin in Jerusalem so I'll have a place to live. Okay, I'll let Solomon build it. And he did, and he put all the shiny things in it. And later, Nebuchadnezzar came down from Babylon and tore it down and took the shiny things away. And years later, after that, Zerubbabel rebuilt it, and they put all the things back in. And eventually, Herod the Great, the king just before Jesus came, or just when he was born, expanded it, made it colossal, magnificent, very expensive to maintain. But something had changed along the way. People hadn't seen the cloud of the glory of God for a long time. It seemed like God just wasn't showing up there like he had in the old days. So God decided to put some wheels on the thing again, but not in the way anybody expected. Instead, what happened was that Jesus turned up, teaching and healing. And people saw that he was close to God somehow, but they didn't have it quite sorted out when Jesus went up on the mountain with his closest companions. And they saw for the first time in centuries the brilliant cloud of the glory of God. There was a conversation between Jesus and Moses and the great prophet Elijah who, by the way, had also gone up in the mountain in his lifetime looking for God, and God had said, what are you looking for, Elijah? Here's what I want you to go tell everybody, and send him back down to deliver a message. You can see where this is going, right? Up on the mountain, a summit with God, God confers authority. The law given to Moses, prophecy given to Elijah, sonship, the very nature of Jesus declared 
in the cloud of God's glory. Peter and James and John see it because they, and they want to build a dwelling because they want to contain it, pin it down, dwell with it, keep it from changing. Only now, the meeting place of God and humanity is not in a place. It's in a man. A man who's tying up the laces on his sandals, strapping on his roller skates and saying to them, Get up! Do not be afraid! You hear that, St. Paul's? Get up! Do not be afraid! You have created and recreated a beautiful place to encounter God. A place to put us in mind of the power and the glory. A place for a summit. And the journey only starts here. We're about to ask God's blessing on this exquisite new altar. To consecrate it, to set it apart from everyday use as a meeting place of God and humanity. I especially love the mingling of the Virginia pine and the West African sapili in the altar, so symbolic of the holy work of reconciliation. I love its place here in the midst of the assembly. Most of all, I love that it has wheels. (laughs) Because the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of God is not a museum society or a place, as you know. We respect tradition, we honor the arts, we pour out our hearts, honoring God and worshiping with the best we have to give. And we are not a museum society or a place, we are a movement. And you have an altar that has wheels. Now coming down the mountain, Jesus said, don't tell them about all this till I'm raised from the dead, because of course that's the important part, the great victory of God. But when that has happened, come down off the mountain. Go out. Go. Don't be afraid. The new tabernacle, the new tent, the new temple, the new meeting place of heaven and earth will always, from henceforth and forevermore, be portable. Because Jesus said, now that's me. And it's you. And it's you. And it's you. Every one of you is the meeting place of God and humanity. Every one of you brings glad tidings of great joy, not just of the birth of the Savior, but the news of the resurrection and the power of God to remake the world. What you have done in this worship space, it's magnificent. It's just a sign and a foretaste and a first step of what might be possible in remaking the world. You bring that news out of this summit, and you take it out there into the valley of the shadow of death, into a world writhing in anxiety and fear and division, into a city struggling to reinvent itself. Imagine, St. Paul's, imagine doing in Richmond what you have done in this room You have an altar that has wheels. And you find the bread of life, the cup of salvation at it. You're united with Christ and one another at it. So now it's time to get up, unafraid, and go to tell other people where to find it. St. Paul's, get up and do not be afraid.
go out into new adventures and community engagement. You are known in Richmond and Virginia. I've only been here about three and a half months, and I know this. You are known for your engagement in the community. So continue to nurture what is fruitful and prune what is not and sow a lot of new seeds. Continue to listen bravely to stories of pain and brokenness. Continue to catch glimpses of God that people get that they don't even know how to name and help them name them. Boldly invite all our neighbors in this neighborhood and your neighborhoods into this Jesus movement. All your neighbors, black neighbors, brown neighbors, white neighbors, gay neighbors, straight neighbors, rich and poor neighbors, conservative, progressive, liberal, passionate, cynical, and seriously confused. Invite them all. If you've encountered God in this place, in words spoken, music played, the taste of bread and wine, if you've encountered God in the image of Christ and the faces around you, if you've been to the top of the mountain, then the point of this transfiguration story is that Jesus expects every one of us to go and tell people, I've seen God. I have seen resurrection. If you haven't seen God in this place, don't worry. God's out there, too. And you can bring the stories of finding God out there to this altar. Last, don't worry. Don't worry that you might fall down a little bit as you learn how to roller skate. Everybody does. If you don't, you're not really skating. In fact, last week... I took a page of my journal and I numbered all down one side and I titled the page, Failures. And that was a little hard, so on the facing page I titled, Things Learned, and numbered down the page. And I figure if I can fill that up in a year, I'll be making some headway. Ben Zander, the conductor of the the Philadelphia Philharmonic, says, you know, when you make a mistake, you know what you do? You throw your arms up in the air and you say, how fascinating! So if you see me do that, you'll know what's happened. You can get the idea from today's godly play class, which right now is in the other room, learning the story of the parable of the sower. Ask them about it. Throw out those seeds with reckless abandon. See what happens. Dare, stretch, innovate, fail, fall down, get up, skate on. You know why I'm exhorting you so much like this? You know why? Because we need you. Bishop Goff and I need you. The Diocese of Virginia needs you. The Episcopal Church needs you. The whole shining kingdom of God needs you, St. Paul's. You have everything you need. With your resources, your passion, your excellent leadership, lay and ordained, your vision for transformation and inclusion, If you can't set this city on fire with love for Jesus and for one another, nobody can. And you can. And if you can, you can inspire the rest of us. And with the help of God, the rest of us can do it too. We need you. And we need your altar on wheels. St. Paul's, you have been blessed beyond measure. And I know you have been tried in any ways, and you have prevailed. And I promise you, the future shines brighter even than the brightest lights of the past. So get up. Do not be afraid. 
go into the world and recruit them for the Jesus movement. Amen.